A long time ago, in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Western North Carolina, a boy turned 12 years old. The boy was me. I know, I know. Save the big reveal for the end, right? Didn't I learn anything from fried green tomatoes? For me, 12 years old was a milestone because it was the age Jesus was when he began teaching. You probably recall the story. The Holy Family had made their annual trip to Jerusalem for Passover celebration. Mary and Joseph had pulled a McAllister family sequel and left Jesus home alone, lost in Jerusalem, where he was later found at the temple, booby-trapping the Ark of the Covenant to shock Daniel Stern when he tries to touch it. Oh, no, just kidding, that's a false teaching. Uh, I mean, of course, Jesus was found holding court with a much older, much more seasoned rabbis whose understanding of Jewish texts were the final authority in that community. Jesus out-midrashed the crap out of those dudes, or so I had been taught in more sacred terms. A boy in my church who turned 12 immediately met with a new set of expectations, namely the expectation to start acting like Jesus in a serious way. It was time to put away childish things and start schooling the elders of Asheville Gospel Chapel with my exegeses of Pauline letters and ancient Hebrew poetry. Sunday school classes no longer featured felt boards or puppets. Bible verse memorization turned into memorization of entire books of the Bible. First Timothy was a good place to start as it held all the answers for a young man of God trying to do faith the right way. I was even baptized at 12, which, I'm sorry, I just gotta call bullshit on because even Jesus got away without that sacrament until he was 30. The bottom line, 12 years old is a significant coming of age for a male-identifying person in the Plymouth Brethren tradition. And it just so happens, the boy who turned 12 in Western North Carolina so long ago, reminder, that's still me, began to discover how vastly fucked his faith was during this time of accelerated maturation. Sunday mornings at Asheville Gospel Chapel in the early 90s, during the second service, which was the one where we sang contemporary songs instead of like 200-year-old hymns, the children sat together in the first two pews, house left. A man stood behind the pulpit, placing transparencies on an overhead projector. You know, the early prototype of the iPad and LED projector combo? After the entire congregation had sung a verse or two of, I owed a debt I could not pay, the man behind the projector moved down to those first two pews, house left, and asked the kids seated there to stand up. It was time for the children's chorus. The incentive to stand and sing loudly was formidable. Each week, the man leading the songs picked one boy and one girl to receive a shiny new quarter, based, I presume, on the enthusiasm and verve with which they had sung. Of course, due to inflation over the years, this coin had increased to like a 50 cent piece and then a full silver dollar by the time I left for college. Yeah. At age 12, after being baptized and committing the entire book of 1 Timothy to memory, I felt like the time was right for me to graduate from this tradition of coins and songs and first two pews, and to leave the quarters to the next generation. I took it upon myself to move to the third row of pews, along with a few other youths my age, and if I recall correctly, we would still stand and sing, but we couldn't be in it for the money. We were 12 now. Jesus wasn't cleaning out the temple coffers when he was 12, and neither should we. One Sunday, I found myself alone in that third pew. My fellow 12-year-olds were all absent that day. There were only three or four of us. So I sang along during the all-church choruses, and then, as he always did, the man behind their projector approached the kids in the first two pews, house left, and they all started to stand. And I... well. On that day, I decided it was time. I was 12. I was alone in the third pew. I didn't need a quarter. And I could recite any random verse in 1 Timothy on command. It was time to remain seated, like the rest of the church, and let the kids do their thing. They were only a few bars into a completely non-offensive song, I'm sure, like Zacchaeus was a wee little man, or I'm in the Lord's army when the eyes of the song leader slash projector operator fell on me. I wasn't singing. I wasn't standing. 
I was simply like the dozens of adults behind me listening to the song of the children. Something flashed across the face of the projector operator, something that I recognized immediately as a look of deep disapproval and disappointment. It seemed that he registered my sedentary, silent state as an act of protest or defiance. I was confused. Wasn't this the natural progression? Wasn't I fulfilling the expectations for a baptized, Bible-memorizing 12-year-old? Surely Zacchaeus and 25-cent rewards were best left to the children half my age in pews 1 and 2. Surely, it was time for me to make way for them and, like Jesus, find my place among the teachers and elders of my community. The projector operating man, though, he felt differently. Without lowering the hand that was conducting the chorus, without losing tempo, he circled the first two pews and began to approach me. What was this? It felt like I was in trouble. Every eye in the church had been trained on the children singing, and now they watched the projector operator walk. He had never so much as moved three feet while leading the children's chorus, but today, with a great and terrible shaking of his head, he came to the third pew where I sat alone, grabbed me under the armpit, and quite forcefully jerked me to a standing position. Wet, hot shame overwhelmed me. Giant tears gathered in my eyes and spilled onto my face. I tried to sing, but all I could do was mouth the lyrics. The song seemed to go on forever as I stood alone in that third pew, a head taller than any other child around me, dripping with shame and desperate to disappear. When it finally ended, I turned toward the window and hid a face that must have been the same shade of scarlet sharpie marker that had been used to write the song lyrics on that transparency projected overhead. No one spoke any words of comfort to me that day. Not one of the hundred or so people who witnessed that fervid, forcible shaming attempted to assuage the humiliation or even inquire about why I was so plainly traumatized by it. Instead. I walked out of church that day branded as the boy who disrespected his grandfather. Oh yeah, did I mention the projector operator? He was my papa. How about that? This story does have a surprise character reveal after all. Listen, my papa is an entire universe, his own subject that I can't even begin to adequately unpack here. He's a complex man, wildly generous, deeply loyal and also severe and exacting in his faith and his expectations for his family. And he was a pillar of our spiritual community, deeply respected by the church. It was he, more than anyone else, who encouraged me to be baptized and challenged me to memorize entire books of the Bible. He had overseen my spiritual development since birth. It was he who had told me the story of 12-year-old Jesus, the temple teacher, time and again. He was the esteemed patriarch of our family, and I was his oldest grandson. 23 years later, this memory is visceral, painful, and crystal clear. You follow an instinct for all the right reasons. Your heart is true, your intent pure. Your methods are by the book and unassailable. You are 12 years old, and in that moment, all you want to do is what's right. You are making yourself, deciding who you will be, claiming your seat in a community. And then someone who is meant to be your champion pulls you up and puts you on display for sins that hadn't even crossed your mind. That's the only reason I'm telling this story, not for retribution or to shame my papa in return for the shame I felt that day, but because faith can be a fucked up thing. Morality that is systemized and moderated will inevitably betray you. 
family can do some of the worst damage. And then an entire congregation might simply ignore the abuse because power goes to the patriarch, to the conductor of the song, to the operator of the projector that beams out the words that we are all expected to repeat. I have never told my papa how what he did that day impacted me so deeply. He's an old man now and I don't want to give him grief. I vacillate between feelings of responsibility for addressing the many grievances I have with him and the desire to just let our times together be as peaceful as possible until that time is up. The latter of those two feelings has been winning in recent years. Love and relationship in the context of religion are so hard to do well. It might be that holding my tongue with my papa is a way to show him love. It could just as easily be a loving thing to speak about the pain and estrangement I feel in the hopes of mending something. It might be that when papa grabbed me in front of the church when I was 12, he was showing me love in the best way he knew, trying to keep me on the path that he believed was right for me. It might be that his severity is as indicative of how deeply he cares as his generosity. All I can say is love gets neutered, hindered, constrained, restricted, and warped in the parameters that religion establishes for it. It hurts and it feels like love. What a confusing thing that is to unravel. conversations for the godless. I'm Matthew Blake. Welcome to Heathen. At a friend's table on a summer night many years ago, I monologued defensively about how faith had never been particularly challenging for me. Sure, I'd experienced difficult times, but unwavering trust in the capital G God of my evangelical childhood had pulled me through them, and I righteously bemoaned the way that other Jesus followers seemed to find this somehow shallow and suspicious and false. It wasn't. Belief did come easily. I am hardwired for heart swells. I am a relentless glutton for awe and wonder. I am the gregarious cheer captain of team stubborn, unshakable hope. I wasn't lying. My faith was the forked split in the lifeline of my left hand, my back row position in any group photograph, the constellations of freckles that populate my skin, a fact of my being, a permanent truth as full and holy as anything else about me. The faith of my first 30 years was home and fire, love and joy. My God house was not always made of glass. All right. Hi, heathens. Um, this is going to be fun. I, so I like, I like the episodes where I'm hanging out with somebody I don't know very well, because it's like a opportunity to just, like we just decided, no, no roadmap for this conversation. We're just going to dive right in and see where this goes. So Karen Thurston is on the line. Hello. New friend. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so we've been kind of like in, how long have you been... How long have we known who each other are? I don't even know. I think I've known who you are longer than you've known who I am, which is Probably, fair. Probably, but that's because I am a, like, so we know each other from Sojourn Grace Collective, right. which is the church that we attend here in San Diego. Um, and I, people generally tend to, to know me first because I lead music every other very week. very important. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no. <laughs> but, but, but when you, when you're like up there with a guitar right. and you have to do yeah. things like welcome people Absolutely. to the church. Yeah. Like people tend to be like, 
they'll start waving at you, you know, two or three Sundays after they come, and I'm just like, you, hi there, hey. <laughs> person, um, and, and, and just, I, I, I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm horrible in social settings, especially with people I don't know. I I feel like you're apologizing for not knowing who I was and you really, <laughs> really don't have to do that, especially because I was intentionally hiding like in the back of the church. In fact, we almost didn't go to Sojo because I walked in and I was like, there are not enough people here. There's, no, there's I, nowhere to hide. I cannot hide. Like we would have to commit to these people. We don't know anything about them. Yeah. What if they're like mm-hmm. horrible people? We don't know. And like mm-hmm. these people would be our people mm-hmm. because you cannot hide in this room. Once yeah. we were at the school and there's like literally nowhere that you can hide. The first day we were there, they were like, everyone get in a circle and talk about oh your life. Gosh. And I was like, this is the worst. You're like gong hits. What did you do this week right. that was amazing and spectacular? <laughs> why, why did I let you bring me back to church? <laughs> this is terrible. Um, so we started going to Sojo. Well, we moved to we moved, we moved to Portland. We moved to San Diego from Portland mm-hmm. um, this time last year. So in December of last year, okay. and then we went to to Sojourn Grace right away. And then I was like, "Nope, can't do it. Too yeah. small." And we tried like seven other churches in the seven. area. That's... It probably wasn't seven. So no, hyperbole yeah. is my spiritual gift. So like, whatever number I give you, mm-hmm. like divide it by. Five, okay. And that's probably accurate. And similarly, when I say my favorite thing is, right. know that that's just for this moment. You just like, don't actually know what the yeah, word favorite no. means. No, right? like, so Mindy Kaling says best friend is a tear, not a person. Oh, yeah. I like yeah, that. Yeah, it, and it's absolutely true. So favorite is a tear. Favorite is totally a tear. And like, like a rotating. Yes. <laughs> like it is. Move things up it's onto a tear. It's lazy Susan of favorite things. And you just spin it and whatever happens to be there at the moment. A so good. We're well, we're well suited. Can you start another podcast that's like the lazy Susan of favorite? I can't because my mom's name is Susan. <laughs> oh yeah, that ruins it. Sorry, mom. Sorry. Oh no, yeah, I, maybe um, I could. We could put a positive spin on it. <laughs> Your mom's like, I'm not late. Yeah, I actually, I, I'm hoping she's still not listening to this podcast. I asked her not to. You could do that with your mom. Like you could do that podcast with your one mom. One day. That'd be fun. No, I sh- I would love to like sit down with my mom on this one day. Yeah. One one day. It feels like it would maybe be loaded. In a distant. Yeah, it would be super loaded. I know lots about you because I listen to this podcast. So like, <laughs> I'm holding all of the cards in this conversation and it's great. I'm like, I know about you. You have Jen. the power. Wow. <laughs> no, this is great. I'm an enigma wrapped in a mystery. Um, so yeah, so we, I was aware of you and your presence in the world sometime <laughs> around February or March of last year. Though know. also loosely because we know um, Aaron and Jeremy Hohengarten. Yes, that's from right. Portland. That's so right. we were very aware of Haley, and yeah. then like you know, yeah. the girl boy thing, and we so we had, I'd actually like seen your face before we were. Oh, that's funny. San Diego. That's so such a freaking small world. It is. It really like it's it's absurd. Yeah. That's why I still believe in God because the world is small. Mm. We're done. That's it. That's the whole thing. I believe in God because the world is small. Okay, there you go, heathens. That's don't, it. Don't be a heathen. Believe in God. Because the, the, it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just gonna, like hitched gonna, my wagon. To no, like we're a, gonna get to that though. Like that's where we will drill. Down It'll make that. sense in the end. Yes. Stay tuned. Yeah. Um, so I should say too, before we get like too deep, I just had you read your blog post. Um, I did. We recorded it and. That's what you heathens, well, listeners, will be. Sometimes I feel weird calling people heathens, but it it's feels just aggressive. Like, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like what podcast. Every podcast I I listen to, like that's what they do. Right, it's like the people, their listeners are yeah. the name of their podcast. Yeah. So I'm just like listeners of this particular <laughs> podcast. Um, so you sent me. So, okay, so I put out the call on Facebook, right? I'm like, yeah. I've been going through my friends and I've been tapping people for this <laughs> Three <thing."> minutes later. <laughs> and, and I know that eventually I'm going to run out of friends. So I'm like, I'm going to, and, and I wanted to like expand the people that I was talking to and just the voices and also have more conversations with folks that I don't know. Because I think that that's interesting. But, um, so I put out that on, you know, just the looking for recommendations mm-hmm. on Facebook, uh, for people to be on a podcast who want to talk about their, you know, apostasy or collapse of their faith or, you know, just like really light stuff. Sure. No big deal. Yeah. Nice um, to meet you. <laughs> yeah. 
And yes, you answered the call. Yeah, literally right away, <laughs> my little type any like type three Enneagram self. Pick me up, be the best one. I'll do it. You were type three? Sometimes. Good. See, no, this is good. Uh, now I'll have okay, a little so bit yeah, of information. Okay, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, well, Kate says I'm the entire image triad. So mm. you can go off of that if you want. But I'm like a two with a three wing, but the three wing like tries to take over gotcha. a lot. Yeah. So okay. here we are. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All this to say, you this sent is what's me. <laughs> I know, I love it. Actually, this is great. Um, tangent twins, uh, you sent me like your audition piece, essentially. I did. Which was this blog that you listeners are listening to throughout this episode. So my idea, at least right now, is that we're gonna kind of weave in pieces of this like super, super gorgeous thing that you wrote um, earlier Gosh. this year throughout this episode because. Hell yeah. Like, let's please have a conversation. That would be fantastic. But that's how we got to hear Ta-da. the the part of your piece that resonated with me too when you said hardwired for heart swells. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, okay. This is a soul sister right Swoony. here. Swoony. Yeah. Just going through the world swooning all, right. all of the time. Yep. The same way. Because mm-hmm. it will just, it just comes up like completely unbidden, you know. You're just doing your thing. And emotions, they just turn on. Yeah. 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 Um, so you're, are you from Oregon? No. No. Okay. Um, I'm from... Let's the, go way back. Let's go back to the very beginning. Um, I'm from the Bay Area, mm. San Jose, Los Gatos, technically, California. Okay. Um, but my parents, I was born up in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, and my parents love it up there. And so I grew up, they, they moved down so we could be near grandparents, and then threatened to move back up to the Pacific Northwest my entire life. And I was about 25, I think, when I was finally like, if you guys move, I'll move. I'm not doing anything. And like within six months, they had sold the Los Gatos house. Oh, wow. Moved up to Oregon. So They really did want to go. They really did want to go. Mm-hmm. And so it's been 24. We were there for about a decade, about 10 years. Um, right. And then back to California. Okay. And it took me no time to reacclimate. It's like, oh, take the girl out of California, but you can't take the California. <laughs> Yeah. So we're back. Um, but it was good. I was in Eugene for a couple of years and then Portland for a solid eight years. And I so, loved Portland. I thought I would never leave. Yeah. I have often sort of painted the picture of the transition from Portland to here. Like I love, Portland was a perfect place for the moment I was in in my life then where yeah. I just needed, so I am very um, oriented toward like relentless Pollyanna syndrome. I'm just a hopeful, optimistic, to the, the point of like my own destruction. Like mm. I really, yeah. I I can't turn it off. Um, and so Portland was really grounding for me because Portland is very like <laughs> damp with your whiskey in the corner of the bar, like <laughs> introspecting to your bearded friends yeah. while you wear wool, you know. And like it's you you can't Pollyanna your way through Portland because <laughs> hipsters will be like. Oh, you doing um so it was good for me and then it kind of got to the point where I was really like we came down here and the literal lightness of this place Mm. the literal light and the metaphorical light a little bit and like people still want to talk about real things yeah it's like we do it at the beach with a pina colada (laughs) and and over an IPA with a taco And, and it's great and that um like I needed that after all the time in Portland. Sure. Like I really, Portland was Good Friday for me. And <laughs> like I needed like resurrection, yeah. you know? So um, it's been lovely being here and just like going to the beach and breathing. Yeah. The ease, the solid sureness of God slipped away in small pieces. Conversations I grew weary of having. Convictions I no longer felt in my bones. Inconsistencies that curled their way up from a daring newborn place in my spirit like smoke signals. Stubbornly undeniable against the clear sky history of my belief. I hated them. 
My mind and body raged against them, desperately insisting that I tuck back in, seek wise counsel, pray, read my Bible, read it more, read it again, close my eyes to the invading darkness, which is only evil, which is only doubt, which is only destruction, because far from God, baby, guess who moved? And shame on you, you self-centered millennial cliche lemming of the inevitable watering down of the truth. You will lose everything you know. You will lose everyone. You will lose. You will forfeit your soul. Her soul, Fable's precious soul, what will you tell your daughter? I am excellent at panicking. I am excellent at shame. Did your, did this process that you, you wrote about in this piece, did it start when you were in Portland? Like it, it... Yes. Yeah, it started. <laughs> because you were on Good Friday. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's really what... I feel like a lot of it started around the time that Fable was born. Mm -hmm. So Fable is my daughter. She's five. Yes, and my part-time roommate. <clears throat> yep. She's the kid you like, <laughs> which oh is God. so great. Yeah. That's like my favorite thing in the world. No, it's like, it's seriously a big deal. I, I know I was kind of like jokey about it when I told you, but I, I'm not, I'm just so not good with kids at all. Like they, they truly intimidate me. Hmm. And that is maybe a weird, I don't know if that's a weird thing for like a six foot one, 250 pound dude to say. Well, you're far from them. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they're so awkward down there. Right. But, um, and it's because it is, I've, I've been able to pinpoint it over the past year. Well, Sojo, like the, our church is kids, like it's half kids. Yeah. And I think that's what I've been able to pinpoint. Like, I feel like none of the tricks of the trade that I know about being human that I've acquired over my mm. 35 years work on kids. Like you know, <laughs> the children are unimpressed. Yeah, no, the masking, the whatever, you know, the airs you put on to be a human. Uh, oh yeah. Kids don't care about don't give that a shit. at all. No. no, they're like, what are you doing? Yeah. And even worse, exactly. They can see through it. Mm -hmm. I feel like you cannot bullshit a child. Like yeah. you can't. And it's funny because kids are like the people we lie to the most, right? Like mm -hmm. we try to, you can you can invite them to play make-believe stuff with you, but yeah. if you try to like trick them into believing that you are something that you aren't, they see through that so fast. Yeah. Um, Fable calls me out on things that I don't even realize are going on in me all of the time. Oh, and it's, gosh. it's humbling and a little terrifying. Yeah. Cause I'm like, great. I'm sorry. What, my, am, what am I going to learn about myself today? Am I ruining you? That's, oh, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Don't, bit. don't be my mom. Um, <laughs> who even are you? Where did you come from? But she is great for that. Um, well, she's so, she's like the kid who just, she was like slightly shy when she first met me. And then five minutes in was just like, she was the one inviting me right. to come be part of her world. Do like, the booty dance or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. so she was, it was almost just like, what are you doing? Come on, get over here. Like we're having a good time. Like yeah. <laughs> stop standing over there in the corner with your, you know, whiskey and your parka and your beard talking <laughs> right, to your friends. Portland, yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. If she, if there's one, I, um, I think about her a lot. Like she's got a lot of things figured out that took me a long time to figure out. So most of what I'm trying to do in parenting her is like not get in her way. Mm. Like if I could just not, teach her to not be these things that she already is, yeah. then we're going to be fine. Um, yeah. And that's been a big reframe for me because I, I think that I had a really high ideal of like, I'm going to raise up this child <laughs> and the way she should go. And now I'm like, oh, geez, like, let me just sit down and like try not to interrupt what you're doing. Yeah. But she is um, inclusive by nature. And like, mm -hmm. there's one thing that I want to not ruin in her. Like, I mm. love that she sees people totally. and like wants to bring them in um and really wants to like she has a lot of empathy and she really wants to like get in there and um comfort people mm. which I think is really fun in a five-year-old yeah. um she's sweet and mothery and lovely so <laughs> I'm glad that you like her and that didn't it didn't feel jokey to me like I cried I Kate and I talked about it later and I'm like <laughs> I walked away and then I cried by myself <laughs> so I didn't want to okay, make good. it so if you I didn't want to make it weird yeah, um, if you make me cry on this podcast I have at least have the like well, I'm relief a, that I made you cry already. So. I'm a contact crier, so if you cry, yeah. I'll cry. So it's fine. Um, that, that is a, it was it's effective in sales. 
great. I used to sell wedding dresses and that was like how you close the deal. Cause I'd look at mom and mom would be crying and that would make me tear up. And then they'd be like, Oh my God, the consultant this is crying. This must be it. This must be the dress. It's, I found my Cinderella and I'm like, okay, great. That's phenomenal. sign here. <laughs> um, uh, I love that. What were we talking about? Um, See? I don't know. So, Oh, I know we're, we're, oh, we're, right. Where yeah, I, I began wanted, yeah. deconstructing. Well, actually, but first, like, what is your, speaking of Krista Tippett's, what is the <laughs> spiritual background of your childhood? Like, Where did or, you come from? Where? Yeah. Um, evangelical family? Or what's the story there? Sort of. I still don't really know what to call the church I grew up in, because I grew up in a very, like, suburban, California, non-denominational box church. So my parents um, became... I guess, non-denominational Christians. My mom grew up Christian scientist, which is a whole, that's a different podcast. Sure is. Fascinating. Um, Not like Tom Cruise. That's different. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We were were just in LA and took our picture at the building. I saw that. Not so building. (laughs) The whole, I could watch. It looks like an asylum. I can watch documentaries on Scientology all day. But Christian science, not the same. Christian science, interesting because like, their main, the book of science and health that they use is written by a woman, Mary Baker Eddy, which I think is actually mm. kind of compelling for the time period. Yeah. But um, anyway, my dad went to a vineyard church okay. when yeah. I was like two. Mm. And so my mom really wanted us to go to church growing up. So they started going to um, this non-denom church yeah. where yeah. we had drums, you know, but yeah. there was like still a traditional service in the morning without the drums. Yeah. And <laughs> then there was the drums and then they were fighting about the drums. Um <laughs> But I grew up in that, and I was I was not a pastor's kid, but, like, my dad was always an elder or, like, a worship leader or whatever. And my mom was the church secretary, office manager, an administrative – I don't even yeah. know what the term was um, – for a long time. And my uncle was the youth pastor. And so – So you're in it deep. Yeah. I definitely had one of those experiences where, like, I grew up in the church, and everybody knew mm-hmm. who I was and what I was up to yeah. all of the time. Um, so I had – 250 parents, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, um, and that, but all of that said, like the church itself was very typical of that um, sort of niche where it's just like everybody, there's a lot of autonomy woven into that. Like your job is to kind of at least project that your stuff is together, right? Yeah. And if it's not together, it's not cool to be like, hey, community, like, I'm not together. Come help me. It's more like you get right with God on your own, you mm-hmm. know, and then, like, you can come back. So, like, go away mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and get right with God. Stop doing everything. Yeah. Like, for God's sake, like, we can't let you lead anything if you're struggling or, like, be involved in anything. Yeah. So let's get you out of the spotlight until, like, you pray and seek wise counsel and then, like, you can be restored ministry and all of those things so very much in that like um what you're doing matters what you're projecting matters and like um your autonomous relationship with god is very 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 like america you know Mm, (laughs) it's a very capitalist view of religion um and there are hundreds of things about that upbringing that were incredibly good yeah. So much about it that was so good. And I was there. I was at church three or four nights a week for my entire childhood and, like, rolling around under the pews. And like I was more comfortable in that building than I've ever been anywhere before yeah. or since. Yeah. And I went to camp and I did all that thing. All, every, anything that churchy kids do, you know, yeah. see you at the pool. I was there. And, like, oh my gosh, yeah. whatever was going on, that's what we were doing. Um, that's, what, yeah, when you said that, more comfortable in that place. That's the perfect way to describe it, because I don't know that I would say it ever since. I think, hopefully, hopefully since then I've found places where I'm more comfortable. But I, I know exactly what you mean. Like, yeah. It was just your space. Like, the, mm-hmm. I, like yeah, there were places, there was like a spot on the couch that was mine kind of yep. thing. Like, in the little YA, whatever um, that was. And, like, when we didn't have a, we didn't have vacation Bible school at our church, because it was really small, and. I don't know. We just didn't have it. So, like, my best friend and I were like, well, we'll do it when we came of age, which was probably, we were probably 15, and we're like, we're going to put on VBS for the neighborhood. And we did. Like, <laughs> nice. And we had the support of, you know, the church, and and <laughs> it was 15-year-olds watching 8-year-olds probably is what it was. <laughs> like, a ton of them. I, 
I don't actually don't know how we got away with that. Like parents literally dropped off their kids at this church. And <laughs> They're like, we were the ones greeting bless them. Bless you, bless you, yeah, probably. Bless you, teenagers. But yeah, no, that was it was that was my space. Yeah, I knew how to belong there really well. Like oh, I yeah. knew what was expected of me, and I was the kind of kid who like I didn't do anything wrong in my entire childhood really like I did a couple things like there were there were like five difficult talks with my parents throughout my entire like until I was 20 that I was really um an obnoxiously responsible child and so I knew I knew how to be liked and I knew how to be accepted and I knew how to belong in that space and I just felt very like I had control over that situation like I knew what, what to expect and you know we did a lot of stuff I loved. I was a theater kid, so like we did the big Easter musicals and Christmas shows and BBS, and I got to be in the skits, you know, and like the whole thing. And so like there was a lot of it that I loved. I still love singing in a choir. That's yeah. still like one of my favorite things in the world to do. Um, so yeah, I liked, I just, I was, yeah, I felt like I fit there really well. And that's a great way to grow up, feeling mm-hmm. secure in having a place Um, And I think that's a huge part of why I was so afraid Mm -hmm. when I was deconstructing because like I didn't have context for there being belonging outside of that. Well, yeah. And yeah, you even said it in your piece, like I lost the things that I lost was what was being sure. Right. Like I I was no longer sure. And that feeling, I can feel it. Like I can picture just like walking around in the space, you know, in my head. Mm-hmm. I still dream that building. Mm. Like half of my dreams still happen in that wow. church building. And it, it, it's the dream thing where like, I'm really at Disneyland, but it looks like the inside of my <laughs> old church. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I know it's Disneyland. It's Disney, and you wake up and you're like, Mickey behind the pulpit. It's very <laughs> confusing. Um, but yeah, it was a foundational space for me. Mm. Um, and it's still like really, it's hard for me to say anything negative about it because of that. Yeah. You know, I'm just like, um, yeah. Oh, I, I can, I can do that now. <laughs> <laughs> I can say a lot of negative things about like the theological aspect and like the places the, where the community yeah. was broken, um, and the the pressure in that mm-hmm. whole mindset of Christianity, that entire wing. Um, yeah, when I, I mean, when I was talking with, um, I think it's this week's episode, right? Matt Heck, mm-hmm. um, uh, who, you know, I'm not sure when this will air, but um, a previous episode with uh, Matt Heck, who's a singer-songwriter, he talked about um, you, like, like you, 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 you can't, you can no longer trust evangelicals. You can no longer trust the group, but we all still have those relationships with, like, the individual people. yeah. So I went home, this would have been two summers ago, and uh, it was for my mom's birthday, mm-hmm. and it was a surprise, and we actually threw her surprise party at the church, like we decked out the, the fellowship hall for her, uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is where we always had, like, yeah. you know, the potlucks uh-huh. and all that stuff. Um, but before that, we, the, the three of us, me and my siblings, uh, went to church with her on a Sunday morning for the first time in, I mean, for me, it probably was since college. Um, I don't think I had been back. Um, and so, and I think that was like special for mom, you know, to have sure. all of her kids back in the church that she raised us in. But unfortunately what happened, we actually never got an explicit, like homosexuality is wrong, like message, like out loud hmm. in our church that I can recall. Hmm. Um, I mean, definitely if it was talked about, you know, with, with any, in, in an actual conversation, like I, I got the gist, like, sure. I understood yeah. what was what, but I don't, I don't ever recall a time when from the pulpit, anybody said something disparaging about gay people or like called it out specifically as a sin. Hmm. Um, and wouldn't you know it, this one Sunday that the three of us go back and my brother's, oh, no. my brother's gay too. Um, so we're sitting there, and yeah, like it's not even on topic for the mm. dude. It's it just it's like a tangent, like what, what we're doing. <laughs> like he just <laughs> like ninety percent of this podcast. Yeah, he just finds his way to this this, um, and it what it wasn't even yeah. like a, it wasn't even a generous like, it wasn't even like a what's the 
um, love the sinner, hate the sin kind of message. It was just like the full clobber. It had a, yeah, it had a, there was bile in it. Like it was just gross. Um, and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like I haven't been back here in 15 years and this this is the Sunday. My brother, who's like amazing. He just looked at us and he's like, I'll see you guys after the service. Mm -hmm. And he, um, Gently got yeah, up and left. Good for him. My sister is fuming, like, right. and I'm fuming, but I like pull out my phone and I start recording mm. the guy. Like, <laughs> just in case no one ever believes me. I want to like, have proof of this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but it was just, that was so disheartening. I mean, again, tangents. I don't know why, how we got here. Oh, just because you don't, yeah, you don't want to say anything particularly negative right. about. And I, I do. Like, I, there are things that I want to, call out and yeah. things I want to um, point out. But I do know what it what it is to because that same was it that same Sunday? It might have been a different Sunday that I had visited earlier, like a few years back. But um several of like the women of the church came up to me when I visited and <laughs> I had to have been on the prayer list or something because they all came they all came up to me and You're said the here. same thing. Oh, they Lord. said I'm sorry if the church hurt you, and I'm sorry if I was part of that. Like, multiple hmm. women said that to me. Uh, only the women, which I think is telling. But, um, so, yeah, like, there are good people, you know? And they're right. not, there's not, there's, there's the difference between the systems and the, and the individual people. And yeah. it, it's not to excuse, you know, because... I don't excuse myself for my, like the pieces that I perpetuated and contributed right. to during my my time um, when I was doing that. But but at the same time, like I want to balance that with just a little bit of grace and understanding that like gosh, these people like loved me. Like they yeah. genuinely felt bad that I was hurt, even if they did. <laughs> like right. even if you when you quiz them on it, yeah, they're still gonna say, well, yeah, like this is sin, your lifestyle, whatever. However, they're gonna phrase it, but um, but they loved me. That's the thing. Like, I think that what you just said, like, that is the the part for me um, that I think I've always been really lucky, blessed, hashtag, whatever you want to put in there. But, like, really, uh, part, the thing that I'm really grateful for is I feel like I've always had a very, like, zoomed out perspective on, like, even when the church was actively doing things to me and in my life that felt really harmful and felt really wrong. Like, and I could sit in that space and be like, this is not good. Mm. I still was always very clear on the intention. Yeah. Like very clear on the fact that like they were doing what they thought was the best way to love me. You know, like they thought that they were loving me and saving me. And like, and that, um, so it was a weird, I mean, that's a weird space to sit in to yeah. be like, this hurts. It feels like love. Like oh that gosh. screws you up a lot. Like that's horrible. Yeah. But um, it's always sort of, that's been the thing that has sort of kept me from, um, I think, being really bitter about a lot mm. of it. Like I've been angry and I've been real clear on like, mm. I'm done with this. I'm not yeah. doing this anymore. Um but I, I don't have a lot of resentment about yeah. it, I think, because, like, I think they were just wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, like... Yeah, and you can be wrong. Just, people can be wrong. Right. And yeah. large groups of people, I think maybe especially, can be wrong. Yeah. Um, and there's so much... And I've had so many conversations, again, with, like, individual people coming out of that who are like, oh, yeah, I could feel that that was wrong in the moment. And, like, I wasn't comfortable with it. But it's like, that's what everyone was doing. And... We're just kind of part of that, and yeah, that's a bummer, though. Yeah, like, that's really unfortunate. Oh my god! Like when you said this hurts and it feels like love. Ooh, I don't know. That struck something in me because yeah, that's it. Like, mm. this this absolutely sucks, and it is destroying me on a very deep level. And yet, it feels. And you love me. I have years of therapy left on that particular topic. Like, I feel like there's still a lot of me that has a hard time. And I was a really well-loved child. Like, my parents in the midst of all of this have always been incredibly... I'm pretty sure I could say anything to my parents. Like, I could come home and be like, I started a drug ring, and I'm this, that, and the (laughs) other thing. And they would be like, well, first and foremost, 
we love you no matter what and we're on your side like my parents are phenomenal that way um so in the midst of that like I had this feeling of being loved no matter what was going on in my life but then also like layered with that expectation of like you know you stay in this very narrow path and we will love you and if you stray from it like we'll still love you but it's sure not gonna feel like it anymore now it's gonna feel really brutal and we did a lot of that like it's that that church environment that lends itself to like somebody then stumbles in a big way has an affair or like you know some confesses some sort of sexual sin or yeah. whatever usually it's the, something the along ones. those yeah. lines right and then it's the public confession thing and the whole and I even as a kid like we had a thing with our youth pastor which is another weird one because I um my perspective on that has changed so much from what it was when I was 13 but when I was even at 13 I could look at this and be like there's something in this whole system and the way that we do this that feels really strange yeah. and it's a constant I still am in that constant cycle in my life of hiding and coming out and hiding and coming out and hiding and coming out and having oh. like secret shame reveal the secret shame repent of secret shame start over and then like feel like I have to hide again and yeah integration <laughs> becomes the goal like yeah. to stop that cycle of like try so hard to be good until you fail and confess your failure and then be forgiven mm-hmm. and then try so hard to be good again mm-hmm. and like that there's a mary oliver poem that wild geese poem do you know this one um i think so the first line is i, mean, I think it's very recently I, i've heard it yeah that first line is you do not have to be good <gasps> oh yes yeah uh-huh oh you do you not do have to be good you do not have to crawl on your knees for a thousand miles or something repenting yeah. you just have to it's like you simply have to let the soft i'm butchering this but you just have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. And that, like, still, I can't say it without, like, getting goosebumps and, like, wanting to just, it's like, gorgeous. I want Mary Oliver to hold me. Yeah. <laughs> like, just hold me in that. Um, but that feels like such a radical idea. Like, you do not have to be good. You just have to be What is that? <laughs> People... People have known that, like, their whole lives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, there were people out there who knew that when I was, when that was all I could do. When that right. was the, the, the aim of everything. Yeah. Was to be good. Yeah. And I was, I was a good kid, too. I mean, I had my dark inner world, um, but externally, I did all the right things. Right. Yeah, I, 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 so I, I, I know what it is to, like, that position of belonging mm-hmm. and that owning the space this is my space like to risk losing that yeah and you talk about shattering the the god glass yeah um yeah it's it's completely debilitating Mm mm-hmm no said the stubborn newborn spirit voice No, not this time. We aren't putting these stones down until we try our damnedest to see if this thing breaks. She, the small place inside me, was no longer content with our definition of truth. For too long now, she'd been wearing shoes that didn't quite fit anymore, praying to a God who felt fragile, limited, and cold, a God a new name or hard question could shatter, a God who depended on so many quivering, breakable truths, a godhouse made of stained glass windows, static and unmoving, and this time, nothing was stopping her from hurling every stone she could carry until she knew for certain whether or not he would shatter. And he shattered. I hurled my desperate stones, and the god, the faith of my childhood, glittered away into a thousand faceless pieces of glass. My belief, my god, shattered. And for the first time in my lifetime, I stopped believing that there was a god at all. Well, the glass thing for me... 
a lot of that stemmed, like I'm good at being good and I want to be good and I want you to like me. I really want you to like me, you know, basically all the time. It doesn't even matter if I think that you're the worst person. Like if I sit down with Donald Trump right now, I'm probably going to want him to like me. And then I'm going to hate myself because I really want to just tell him off, you know, but instead I'm just going to be like, oh God, why are you being nice to this guy? Don't be nice. Um... (laughs) It's the worst thing. This is amazing. But it's true. This um, is the, the three, right? This is Oh, yeah. That's yeah, so yeah. the three. Like, I just, like, oh, let me do a little show for you. Yeah, that is, it's a fascinating facet of that personality because I'm I'm the eight. Right. Which is totally. Oh, God, I want to be an eight sometimes. So it's, that, like, that's the one part about it that I just absolutely have embraced and love. And actually, it was the thing, like, it's, it's kind of the thing that for me was my cripple, crippling doubt growing up was like this I because I have this personality that is like sometimes it is just a big middle finger to the world like right. I'm gonna do my thing very punk um, rock yeah mm-hmm. except look at me <laughs> you're so punk rock the nails are happening right now we went with the dark color you have to chip it a little bit um I know yeah oh there it is right there, <laughs> there you go it's chipped. oh um, hardcore now that's all it took but um that was totally like squashed in, hmm. in my upbringing, right? That was not okay. Right, because you can't ask questions. No, 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 no. You can't ask questions. You can't. Well, even just the eight's um, desire to not be controlled. Yeah. <laughs> totally at odds oh, with the entire evangelical system because you are everything is controlled. Right. Everything is moderated. Everything is temperate. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I grew up believing that this big part of me was. Like, that was what sin was for me. Well, it was one of the things that sin was for me, was this this, this desire I had to kind of buck Hmm. um, the norm or, you know, loosen whatever, however I felt bound. um, Felt like like that was against God. So learning about the Enneagram over the past year has been, like, phenomenal because it's it, it, it finally is, like, just what I've known for a while, but, like, just given language to and permission to just oh like it's okay and I like I have that for a reason like I'm in I'm in the world as an eight for a reason because like there's good I can do with that yeah. there's good I can do with that like that's the piece I never knew about it so good like that well it, we need like my personality types need eights desperately because like <laughs> I need you to go into the room with Trump with me and be like no I'm sorry <laughs> Whatever you you're doing, you don't need his approval. Stop doing it and like say what you practiced in the car <laughs> instead of whatever you. I, I do. Got a, you. I yeah. do a lot of hard conversations with my dashboard in the car, and then yeah. go really non-confrontational when I actually am with people. Um, yeah, and I feel like that that that's the glass thing. The glass thing is like so for me. Like, I have those questions, and it's the same thing where, like, those questions are original sin because, mm-hmm. like, yeah. you can't trust your body and your mind and your ability to lean and on your heart is deceitful above all things. Lean on, on your own understanding, yeah. you know, right? Um, and, like, man, has it taken me a long time to, like, trust my gut, you know? <laughs> Let your, what is it? Let the animal of your body. Yeah, it's the soft. soft animal of your body love what it loves. Just to, like, think that my gut is not Satan, you right? know? Like, that my gut is not, like, the voice of the destroyer coming in <sighs> to, like, ruin my life. I still have an evangelical character of myself in my head that, like, will shame. Like, I have two personalities that argue <laughs> in my brain. Then people come in and try to shame me, and I'm like, don't even bother. Like... I already got that. Believe me. Yeah. I did this six months ago before I revealed to you that any of this was going on. Oh, my word. But the glass thing for me was like, okay, I have these doubts and I have these questions and everything in my body that wants to be good, that wants to do this well and wants to be the best Christian that's ever been a Christian and like, um, and also like has that sincere, hopeful Pollyanna like can't let go of, like I just really love everything mm-hmm. all of the time yeah like I just fall in love with random things yeah. constantly like I'm deeply moved by displacing grocery stores where I'm just like oh the symmetry <laughs> the world is beautiful uh, and people are like well, what is the matter and I'm like have you heard have you heard this commercial jingle <laughs> it's the most beautiful piece of music that anyone has ever written and I'm just here um so the, all those things combined, I would, I'm going to get to the point, I swear no, to God. I, um, I would have these questions and I would have these feelings. And 
everything that I'd always done had been, well, you pray and you go talk to someone who's going to confirm what you've always believed because you've always been like, so you don't, you don't follow those questions because like, and that was where the glass metaphor started coming in. So I'm like, what happens to God yeah. if I ask this question? Yeah. Like, why, why is, is it such a so fragile that like, I'm always one question away from going to hell? Yeah. Like, why, why is this so scary to know what's out there on the other side of this? And so that was the really, like, it was so scary. Richard Rohr describes it like death, uh, deconstruction. He's like the old part of you, the religious person, the identity that you have is dying so that there can be a resurrection of something else. And like, that was helpful for me because I was like, okay, great. Well, I don't feel so dramatic anymore because I felt like my life was in jeopardy. You know, I felt like I was dying and I had just had a baby. And so like mm. the added pressure of like, not only is it my life, but I'm like shepherding her life. So great. Like, mm. do I take Jesus away from, cause I immediately felt like as soon as I started asking those questions, I don't get Jesus anymore. Right. Like I yeah. have forfeited my right to Jesus. Yeah. Um, but I, there was something in me that was just like, you can't, you can't take this back to your pastor anymore. Like you have to talk to someone else. Like you just have to talk, you have to talk to somebody who disagrees with you. And I had friends my whole life who disagreed with me. I have friends, really close friends who have always been agnostic or atheists or gay. I grew up in theater and I grew yeah. up in a non-denominational Christian church that was like, well, love the sinner, hate the yeah. sin. And I've had so many awkward conversations with gay friends where I'm like, well, I love you. Yeah. And I'm glad I don't have to make any decisions about what you struggle with. And yeah. like, I think about those now and I'm just like, oh, how much of shit. your tradition was, um, like how 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 much of uh, how much of it was your job to do some of the like evangelizing or the shepherding of your peers who weren't you know who were it was not sort believers. of like there was a lot of it was our job to get them in the door uh -huh. um, get them to come hang out with, like the fun youth group stuff you know mm -hmm. invite them to camp but it was more like my job was recruiting and then like the pastor would take it from gotcha. there so my job wasn't necessarily saving souls although like. That was a bonus if like your friend went down for the altar call and like you got to pray with them or i did go on like short-term missions trips for sure and be like how many people can we pray with today we got yeah. 25 yes we've saved africa or one all yeah. of africa <laughs> it's going to heaven um i made a kid a balloon animal <laughs> in the name of jesus so i had i hit this point <laughs> okay i hit this point <laughs> where I had to like go outside and I had to be like, what happens if I read the Bhagavad Gita? You know, like does the world end? Yeah. Does the rapture happen the minute I pick up the book? And then I'm like, well, bye. Yeah. <laughs> I'm left behind with Nicolas Cage. Um, <laughs> Kirk Cameron. Oh God. There's no good options. No, that's a uh, terrible future. Yeah. So obviously scary, right? Like yeah. that's not good. Um, I needed to ask the questions and I needed to ask other people, like, what do you think about this? Tell me something that I haven't already heard. Um, and all of that felt like a betrayal. Mm. All of that felt like that piece of betraying my tribe and rejecting my tribe. And every time I asked that question, I felt like I was staring people that I love and respect in the face and being like, sorry, I think I'm smarter than you. Yeah. Which immediately, like, I want Mm, crawl in a hole because yeah. like I'm so not smarter than you I didn't go to Bible college for crying out loud everyone I know went to Bible college I didn't go to Bible college I don't know I probably missed something that you learned in Bible college <laughs> I'm just missing this one crucial right. critical piece there are no transitional fossils and if I could just like I don't know there's some reason why this is all true um I don't know for me yeah. Lee Strobel was really formative for me like <laughs> the case for Christ was solid in yeah. my mind yeah. um I felt like I'm looking Michael W. Smith in the eye every time you know and being like well screw you punk you've been here for me my entire childhood but like now I think your whole theology is crap yeah um that is it's legitimate that that is a traumatic experience for someone to feel like 
not to feel like. Right. It is. You, it is. It's a betrayal. Yeah. And you have to deal with the consequences of that, knowing that, or trusting, I guess, that you're following what you think is best now. Right. But, but well, and when you don't trust it, your gut, yeah. <laughs> when, and when you can't, yeah. When you've been taught your whole life, right, that your gut is wrong, right. So. No I got, wonder there's two people talking to you, the evangelical version. No wonder you're broken in your brain. Um, I had a friend, luckily, who pointed me to that P. Holmes co- uh, podcast with Richard Rohr, which I think is like mm. like Deconstruction 101. Like yeah. so many people get thrown to that. Yes. Um, you, made it, you made it weird? You made it weird. You made yeah. it weird. That's like, I mean... Richard Rohr episode. If you haven't found that yet... It's a great resource. Let us recommend it now, yeah. What it... Weird Pete Holmes. So good. Yeah. And what is great... That was my first introduction to Rohr. Because I had... My friend was just like, look, like, you have a tribe. You are not the first person to go down this road, which I really needed to hear. Hey, Happy New Year, and thank you for listening, everyone. Next Sunday, check back to hear part two of my conversation with Karen and the rest of her story. The social media handle is at Heathen Podcast. The email is askheathen at gmail.com. I'm Matthew Blake. Here's to the heathens.